0: bibles to first corinthians chapter 14 first corinthians chapter 14 an important topic this morning and one that uh, we need to learn of and paul's going to do that for us this morning the apostle paul it's the pop- proper use of spiritual gifts the proper use of spiritual gifts In chapter 12, the Apostle Paul gave a general discussion about the spiritual gifts. And then in chapter 13, he followed with a general discussion about the spiritual gifts with the graces of the Spirit, love. And now this morning in chapter 14, he finishes by explaining the control of the Spirit in public worship services in church. Chapters 12, 13, and 14 go together. They must be studied and interpreted together as a unit, not separate from each other. That would be out of context. The three go together. And it seems that some of the Corinthians would lose control of themselves as they used their gifts. And Paul had to remind them Hey, there are basic principles that should control the worship services of the church. You know, it's like anything else. There needs to be order. There needs to be, uh, you know, uh, an organization along with it. But order in the church. It's not a free-for-all for for when, you know, you want to... come in and, and if people, you know, feel led to do something, you know, again, there's an order and that's what Paul is going to give us here. Uh, again, there uh, should be controlled during the worship services. There are three main principles to be applied to our worship services. Edification, understanding, and order. The first main principle and the key word here in chapter 14 is edification, A worship service should exalt the Lord and build up the saints, not puff up the participants or those using the gifts. The whole chapter was written to instruct the church on how to properly use spiritual gifts, how to biblically use them. So again, we have, I said, the word edified mentioned here in the chapter. It's the key word. The word edify means to build up. To build up. The Corinthians were edifying themselves. Building themselves up and neglecting the church. Those around them. They wanted to build themselves up. But not their fellow believers. Now this hurt the other Christians. Because they weren't being edified. It also hurt the believers who were using the gifts. Because they were puffing themselves up. And because we're all members of the same body. <clears throat> the way we relate to others has to affect us as well. It has to affect us uh, personally. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 12, 21, he says that I can't say to the hand, I don't need you. You know, and sometimes we just feel, hey, I don't need you. and you know, I, But again, we're all part of the body of Christ. We need each other. If one member of the body is weak or infected, it will affect the others. Paul noticed that the church was neglecting prophecy all right, they, was, they were neglecting prophecy but, and putting a wrong emphasis on tongues. And Paul explained that prophecy was the better gift of the two by comparing the two. And in verses 1 through 5, he covers edification. Let's look at, to begin with, verses 1 through 3 of chapter 14. And Paul says, Pursue love and desire spiritual gifts. But especially, notice, that you may prophesy. For he who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men, but to God. For no one understands him. However, in the Spirit, he speaks mysteries. But he who prophesies speaks edification and exhortation and comfort to men. So Paul says, tongues speak to God. To prophesy speaks to men. Therefore, it's the better of the two gifts, the best of the gifts. He says, if you desire spiritual gifts, which means it's okay. We should desire spiritual gifts as the will, you know, uh, distributes them. But he says, desire the best gifts, the ones that will benefit the body of Christ the most. The ability to prophesy is best because it built up the church. And it gave encouragement and comfort to the listeners. And that's something that we all need. Tongues, weren't not, tongues were not used to preach the gospel to the lost. Paul was afraid the excessive and improper use of tongues in the church would convince the lost that Christians were crazy. As we'll see as we go further down in the chapter. <clears throat> and, I, and I know I, I experienced that early in my, in my days as a Christian. Well, before I was a Christian. And I know that others have, have experienced the same thing. And to go into, into a church, and, and you know, they're, they're, everybody's doing different things—speaking in tongues. and Somebody's doing this over here, and that over there. And, and there's no order to the church, and the pastor's up there trying to speak, and, and it just there's no order. And you go, what's what's happening here? What's going on? You know, I, I, you know, they're just it, it, it just can't make any sense out of it. And as Paul said, you know, uh, the lost go in there, and even a, a new believer and think, man, they're 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 mad, they're crazy. Acts chapter 2 verse 11 tells us at Pentecost, it says that the believers spoke the wonderful works of God. But Peter, he preached the gospel in Aramaic so that his listeners could all understand. So to, pro- the ability to prophesy and tongues are gifts to the church, but to prophesy is preferred. To prophesy edifies everybody at once because they can all understand. Tongues is only, you know, blesses the the one speaking because it's between them and God. To prophesy, again, everybody edifies everybody at once because it's more direct. And there's less chance of distraction. Tongues are mainly directed to God and are preferred for prayer and praise. To prophesy is preferred for the edification and exhortation and comfort of the church. The believer who speaks in a tongue speaks to God in praise and worship. But the believer who prophesies shares the word of God with the church and helps those who listen. So this leads to the second contrast in verses 4 and 5. Let's see what it says. He who speaks in a tongue edifies himself, but he who prophesies edifies the church. Paul says, I wish you all spoke with tongues, but even more that you prophesied. For he who prophesies is greater than he who speaks with tongues, unless indeed he interprets that the church may receive edification. <clears throat> so prophesy, to prophesy edifies the church. Tongues only edify the speaker. Now, Paul didn't say tongues weren't important, but he did put a greater value on building up the church. He said in verse 5, greater is he that prophesies than he that speaks with tongues, unless tongues are interpreted. The church doesn't get anything out of it, the tongues, if they're not interpreted, because nobody knows what the speaker is saying. And then Paul pointed out an interpreter must be present before the gift of tongues can be exercised. We'll see that in verse 28. The Corinthian church didn't have Bibles in those days. They didn't have Bibles in the church. So God would speak to his people directly through the prophets. And the message was sometimes given in a tongue. The gifts of knowledge, prophecy, tongues, they worked together to get the truth to the people. And then Paul emphasized the importance of teaching God's word in the church. You see, our worship must be worshipped on truth. Or should I should say based on truth. And Jesus said, those who worship, worship him in spirit and in truth. Because if we're not worshipping God based on truth, it can become superstition. It, be, it can become superstitious emotionalism. Which a lot of times that's what it is. It's just emotionalism getting carried away christians need to know what they believe and why they believe it and so the prophet shared truth with the church so it edified the congregation those that were in the church church service paul said unless there's an interpreter the person speaking in tongues hey they're enjoying what they're doing they're enjoying their worship of god but he's sure not helping the church he's not edifying the church because they have no idea what he's saying Yeah, he may be enjoying his spiritual experience, but he's not edifying the church. And then verses 6 through 25 covers understanding. We find the word understanding eight times in verses 6 through 25. You see, the minister has to do more than give people information. The people must receive it. They must understand it if it's going to do them any good. If a believer wants to be edified, he must prepare his heart to receive the word. Now, not everybody who listens really hears. For example, after preaching at an important meeting, Dr. Joseph Parker was approached by a man who pointed out an error in his sermon. Dr. Parker listened patiently to the man's criticism and then asked him, And what else did you get from my message? After he asked the question, the man disappeared in the crowd. Only time, sometimes, a lot of times, all people listen to is, is oh, he, oh, he blew it, man. He said something wrong. He made a mistake. And then they want to tell you, but hey, what else did you learn in the message? Uh, you know, they're gone. They, they just seem to just want to be critical about what the speaker is saying. We're so quick to judge the sermon rather than allowing the sermon to judge us. Let's look at verses 6 through 11 now. Again, he begins speaking about understanding. Verse 6, he says, But now, brethren, if I come to you speaking with tongues, what shall I profit you unless I speak to you either by revelation, by knowledge, by prophesying, or by teaching? Even things without life, whether flute or harp, when they make a sound... Unless they make a distinction in the sounds, how will it be known what is piped or played? For if the trumpet makes an uncertain sound, who will prepare for battle? So likewise you, unless you utter by the tongue words easy to understand, how will it be known what is spoken? For you will be speaking into the air. There are, it may be, so many kinds of languages in the world, and none of them is without significance. Therefore, if I do not know the meaning of the language, I shall be a foreigner to him who speaks, and he who speaks will be a foreigner to me. So here's the, 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 the second principle, uh, in, in the, again, in the, using the gifts. Understanding. Understanding. Paul used three examples to make his point that there must be understanding if there's to be an edifying spiritual ministry now musical instruments he uses here as an example without a distinct sound there's no value you know if a trumpet player gets up and just blows into it and just hits all the keys just making a bunch of noise well that's not very pleasing to the ears but when he knows the notes and the keys and he plays music and it's a distinct sound it's enjoyable you understand Hey, he knows how to play the trumpet or the drums. If I just go back here and just started pounding on them, you'd just be going, oh man, you just close your ears. But when they're playing a certain beat, a certain rhythm, you can see there's a distinct sound to them. And that's the point that Paul's making here. You know, musical instruments without a distinct sound, they have no value. If the bugler doesn't know if he's sounding a retreat or a charge, you can be sure some soldiers will charge, others will retreat. You see, the sound has to be clear. It has to be understood. What we say has to be clear and it has to be understood for it to be any good. It's the same in everyday conversation. Now, to the Greeks, anybody that wasn't a Greek was a foreigner. And they were were the lowest of the low on the social or national ladder. Anybody who wasn't a Greek was considered a barbarian. The musician, the bugler... An everyday communicator can't be understood unless their messages are communicated in a way that the listener can understand. And then after illustrating the principle of understanding, Paul then applied it to three different people in verses 12 through 15. Let's look at verses 12 through 15. He says, Even so you, since you are zealous for spiritual gifts, let it be for the edification of the church that you seek to excel. Therefore, let him who speaks in a tongue pray that he may interpret. For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my understanding is unfruitful. What is the conclusion then? I will pray with the spirit and I will also pray with the understanding. I will also uh, sing with the spirit and I will also sing with the understanding. Paul first applied the principle of understanding to the one speaking. He reminded the Corinthians Again, that it's better to be a blessing to the church than to experience some kind of personal spiritual excitement. If the believer speaks in a tongue, Paul says his spirit, that is the inner person, may share in that experience. In other words, the person that's speaking in a tongue, it's, it's, just, it's just them that, that's enjoying this experience. Their mind isn't part of it because he doesn't know what he's saying. His mind isn't a part of that experience. Now, it's not wrong to pray or sing in the Spirit, in the tongues. But Paul says it's better to include the mind and understand what you're praying or singing. And notice in verses 14 and 15 here that the word Spirit, it's not referring to the Holy Spirit, but to the inner person. As Paul spoke of in 1 Corinthians 2.11, for what man knows the things of a man except the spirit of the man which is in him, the inner person. If the speaker is to be edified by what he's saying, he has to know what he's saying. He has to understand what he's saying. So what's the speaker to do? Paul says he must ask God for the interpretation of the message. And Paul assumed that an interpreter would be present according to verses 27 and 28. Or the speaker had the gift of interpretation. So this emphasizes again why to prophesy is preferred over tongues. To prophesy doesn't need interpreting. It's a blessing to everybody. Look at verses 16 through 20. Otherwise, if you bless with the Spirit, how will he who occupies the place of the uninformed say amen at your giving of thanks, since he does not understand what you say? For you indeed give thanks well, but the other is not edified. I thank my God, Paul said, I speak with tongues more than you all. Yet in the church, I would rather speak five words with my understanding that I may teach others also than 10,000 words in a tongue. Brethren, do not be children in understanding. However, in malice be babes, but in in understanding be mature. So Paul then applies the principle of understanding to other believers in the church. And he assumed that they'd listen to the message and they'd respond to it. But he says if they don't understand the message, how can they say amen to whatever is being said? They don't understand Then he speaks about the uninformed in verse 16. Notice he says in verse 16, Otherwise, if you bless with the the Spirit, how will he who occupies the place of the uninformed say amen? Now, the uninformed person may be a new believer. They're new in the Lord. Or maybe they're an interested person who's coming into the service to seek the Lord. Well, neither one could be edified because they don't understand what's being said. So again, it was a matter of priorities. It was a matter of importance. Paul was not against using tongues. He just tried to put it in the right perspective, the one that is most beneficial. The issue was not how many words were spoken, but the quality of the words that were spoken, the quality of the communication. And Paul says, hey, he says that, that you know, to, to be babes in malice, he said the Corinthians were acting like children playing with toys. The spiritual gifts. You know, they were all using them and they were just, you know, uh, enjoying themselves and, and, and like children playing with toys. When it came to about knowing sin, Paul said, hey, I want you to be as babes. But when it came to spiritual understanding, he says, I want you to be mature, be mature men and women. You're acting like children, playing with the gifts, using them improperly. He says, and I want you to be like babes when it comes to evil. You know, the less you understand, or the less you you, you know about evil. But when it comes to spiritual gifts, he says, I want you to be mature men and women. Now, some people think speaking in tongues is a sign of spiritual maturity. And, And there are those that teach that. But Paul taught it's possible to use the gift in an unspiritual and immature way. Verses 21 through 25. He says, In the law it is written, With men of other tongues and other lips I will speak to this people. And yet for all that they will not hear me, says the Lord. Therefore, tongues are for a sign, not to those who believe, but to unbelievers. But prophesying is not for unbelievers, but for those who believe. Therefore, if the whole church comes together, notice, in one place, and all speak with tongues, and there comes in those who are uninformed or believers. So he's saying, he's saying if they're all speaking in tongues and a new believer comes in or somebody who's seeking the Lord. He said, will they not say that you are out of your mind? But if all prophesy and an unbeliever or uninformed person comes in, he is convinced, all, he is convinced by all, he is convinced, uh, convicted by all. And thus the secrets of his heart are revealed, and so, falling down on his face, he will worship God and report that God is truly among you. Paul's last application here was to the unbeliever who happened to come to the church during worship. Paul made another point. Why, to prophesy is better than tongues. Unless the message in tongues is interpreted, it can never bring conviction to the unbeliever. He might even leave the service before the interpretation was given, thinking, these guys are nuts. Because they don't understand what's going on. They don't understand what's being said. Tongues weren't used for evangelism. Not at Pentecost, nor in the meetings of the early church. But tongues did have a message for the lost Jews in particular. They were a sign, tongues were a sign of God's judgment. In verse 21 here, Paul is quoting Isaiah 28, 11, and 12. And he's referring to the invading Assyrian army whose wild language the Jews wouldn't understand. The presence of this tongue was evidence of God's judgment on the nation. God would rather speak to his people in clear language that they can understand, but their repeated sins is what made this impossible. They couldn't understand God because they were in sin. He spoke of them through his messengers in their own tongue. But the nation wouldn't repent. So now he had to speak in a foreign tongue, and this meant judgment. As a nation, the Jews were always seeking a sign. At Pentecost, the fact that the apostles spoke in tongues was a sign to the unbelieving Jews who were there celebrating the feast. The miracle of tongues, it stirred up their interest. But it didn't convict their hearts. You see, it took Peter's preaching in Aramaic, which the people all understood, to bring them to the place of conviction and conversion. The principle of of edification encourages us to focus on sharing God's word so that the church will be strengthened and that the church will grow. The principle of understanding... Reminds us that what we share must be understood if it's going to do any good. The private use of spiritual gifts, that is the personal use of of speaking in tongues, that that, that will edify the one speaking in tongues. That will edify the user. But it's not going to edify the church because they have no idea what he's saying. And Paul advised us in verse 12 to excel to the edifying of the church. Let us do what most edifies the church, what best edifies the church. So now the third main principle to be applied is the principle of order. Verses 26 through 40 covers order in the church. Let's begin with verse 26. 26 says, How is it then, brethren, Whenever you come together, each of you has a psalm, has a teaching, has a tongue, has a revelation, has an interpretation. Let all things be done for edification. Verse 26 says, let all things be done for edification. Along with verse 40, which says, let all things be done decently and in order. These two verses go together. They go together. You know, it's like if we didn't have plans for the construction of a building, it would be chaotic. Everybody be in there, you know, doing their own thing. And we're going to build a building, but there's no plans, there's no order. They just go in there and just start hammering nails and wood and, you know, it would be chaotic. The Corinthian church was having special problems with disorders in their church services, their worship services. We saw that in the Lord's Supper. the love feast when they came together. Out of order. It's not hard to figure out why they were having these problems. They were using spiritual gifts to please themselves and not to help their brothers and sisters. Again, the key word, well, for these folks, again, the key word wasn't edification. It was showing off. Look at me. Look how spiritual I am. I can speak in tongues. If you think that your part in the service is more important than your brother's, then you'll either be impatient until he finishes, or you'll interrupt him. Verse 26 gives us a peek at worship in the early church. Each member was invited to take part as the Lord led. One would sing a psalm or want to sing a psalm. Somebody else would want to teach. Somebody else had a revelation that would be given in a tongue and then interpreted But without some kind of God-given order, there could never be edification. It was the tongues people, the people that spoke in tongues, that were causing most of the problems, most of the trouble. So Paul addressed them, and he gave them several instructions for the church to obey in their worship services. Look at verses 27 through 33 as he begins. He's going to give the instructions. He says, If anyone speaks in a tongue, let there be two or at the most three, each in turn, and let one interpret. But if there is no interpreter, let him keep silent in the church and let him speak to himself and to God. Let two or three prophets speak and let the others judge. But if anything is revealed to another who sits by, let the first keep silent. For you can all prophesy one by one, that all may learn and all may be encouraged. And the spirits of the prophets are subject to the prophets. For God is not the author of confusion, but of peace, as in all the churches of the saints. First of all, speaking and interpreting and judging the message must be done in an orderly manner. Paul said there must not be more than three speakers at any one meeting, and each message must be interpreted and judged in order. If no interpreter was present, the tongue speaker must stay silent. Why were were the messages judged? To determine whether the speaker had really communicated the word of God through the Holy Spirit. You see, it was possible for a speaker to be controlled by his emotions and to imagine that God was speaking to him and through him. It was even possible for Satan to counterfeit a prophetic message. 2 Corinthians 11, 13 and 14. The listeners would test the message by comparing them to the Old Testament scriptures. Also by the apostolic tradition and the personal guidance of the Holy Spirit. The discerning of spirits. As Paul talked about in 1 Corinthians 12, 10. If while a person is speaking... God gives a revelation to another person, the speaker must be silent while that new revelation is being shared. You see, if God is in charge, there can be no competition or contradiction to the message. But if the different speakers are making up their own messages, there will be confusion and there will be contradiction. When the Holy Spirit is in charge... The different ministers will have self-control because self-control is the fruit of the Spirit, Galatians 5.23. And we have heard before how people say, Oh, you know, the Holy Spirit came over me and I couldn't control myself. And you see them doing weird things and, and rolling on the ground. And, do, and oh, it's the Holy Spirit, you've got to hold it. The Bible says here, that's not, not true. Verse 32 takes care of that excuse real quick. It says, and the spirits of the prophets, no, they are subject to this prophet. In, the, New, in the, New, the Living Bible, it says it like this. Remember that a person who has a message from God has the power to stop himself or wait for his turn. You now, there's so much stuff in the past and even today, ungodly things that have been blamed on the Holy Spirit. We don't lose control. We don't lose our senses, and just oh, God took over, and just all these weird things. No, the Bible says that the prophet is subject to the. No, I have control over myself, and you know, and, and and the Holy Spirit would not do something so unbecoming. Well, the Holy Spirit, you know, the Bible is called Holy Spirit. Fires is represented by fire, at times. All right. Well, think about it. Fire. Under control is power. Fire out of control is damaging. Same thing with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit under control, man, that is power. But when, when we claim that, that, that when that that when the Holy Spirit, you know, if it could go out of control, it would be damaging. Our own self control is one sign that the Holy Spirit is truly at work in the service. One of the ministries of the Holy Spirit is to bring order out of chaos, like it did in Genesis chapter 1. The world was without shape and without void. It It was without order. And God came in creation and he made order out of everything. God is a God of order. We need to understand that. We need to remember that confusion comes from satan not from god when the holy spirit is leading the worshipers are able to minister one by one so that the total impact of what god wants to say can be received by the church now how does this instruction apply to the church today since we don't have new testament prophets like the ones in the bible but we do have completed scripture first of all we must use the word of god the bible to test every message that we hear and asking the holy spirit to guide us again that's what's so important about knowing the bible because you if you don't know the god or the, the word of god you're not going to know when some preacher gets up and starts preaching something weird something that's not biblical if you don't know what the Bible says. That's how we recognize when something's preaching something that's wrong. Hey, wait a minute. The Bible doesn't say that. He's a false teacher, false preacher. So we need to, and we need to use the word of God to test everything that's said. We have to be aware of false teachers. But even true teachers and preachers don't know everything, and sometimes they make mistakes. But how will we know it's a mistake if we don't know what the scripture says? Every listener must judge the message and apply it to his own heart. We need to consider one another and we need to maintain order. D.L. Moody was leading a service and he asked a man to pray. So the man, taking advantage of his opportunity to pray, the man prayed and he prayed and he prayed. And he went on and on and on. And D.L. Moody, sensing that now this man who was just going on forever, was now killing the the, the, the spirit of the prayer meeting. He was killing the blessing of the meeting. Moody, said, Moody spoke up and he said, Well, while our brother finishes his prayer, let us sing a hymn. So he let him go, but he... See, he, he knew and he sensed that there was a need to, to change what was going on because it was killing the, 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 the spirit of the prayer meeting. And those who are in charge of public meetings need to have discernment and courage. Verse 34 and 35. Now, ladies, before you start throwing things at me, <laughs> let me finish what I'm reading and let me explain the context, okay? Okay. Paul said, let your women keep silent in the churches for they are not permitted to speak, but they are to be submissive as the law also says. And if they want to learn something, let them ask their own husbands at home for it is shameful for women to speak in the church. Now, in the church service, what was happening, the the women could prophesy, they could pray, all right? This instruction is, is is to apply to this time, this immediate context of evaluating the prophet, the prophet, the prophetic message that was given in the church service. What seems to be the problem is that, that well, the main responsibility, first of all, for doctrinal purity at that time in the New York church was with the men, the elders in particular, 1 Timothy 2, 11 and 12. The context of what was going on here, this prohibition that Paul gave would suggest that some of the women in the church, you know, if some a question came up or a, a message, if they had a question about it, they would they would start asking in the church, and another lady would answer. And then they might start they were arguing over the message or what it meant and all that. And so this is why Paul had to bring this this, this prohibition here is that uh, again to, to stop this this asking and, and this this arguing that was going on in the church during the church service. So. Again, they were creating their problems by asking these questions and, and possibly starting arguments. So Paul reminded the married women here to, you know, when you get home, you know, talk to your husband about it, get, the, get your question answered at home. The law that Paul's referring to here in verse 34 is probably Genesis 3.16. The word law was a synonym for the Old Testament scriptures, especially the first five books of the Old Testament, in 1 Corinthians 11, Paul had discussed the relationship of men and women in the church. And that's why he didn't need to go on uh, in any further detail here. Look at verses 36 through 40 now. Or did the word of God come originally from you? Or was it you only that it reached? If anyone thinks himself to be a prophet or spiritual, let him acknowledge that the things which I write to you are notice, are the commandments of the Lord. But if anyone is ignorant, let him be ignorant. Therefore, brethren, desire earnestly to prophesy and do not forbid to speak with tongues. Let all things be done decently and in order. So the participants were to be aware of new revelations. That is things that went, that went beyond the word of God. And again, that's the importance of knowing the Word of God because somebody said, oh, God spoke to me, man, and he gave me a new revelation. We don't need to be saved to go to heaven. Whoop, wait a minute. Because there are people who, who have dreams, and they say, oh, God spoke to me in this dream, and he said this and that, but, it, but it's not biblical. We need to be aware of new revelations that go beyond the Word of God. The church had the Old Testament and and, and the, the oral tradition that was given by the apostles. And this was the standard that all revelations were tested by. Once again, the Word of God. But today, we have our Bibles. We have the Word of God, as well as the teachings of the church history to help us to know the truth. Here, Paul was answering the church member who might say, we don't need you, Paul. We don't need your help. The Holy Spirit speaks to us and we have received some new and wonderful revelations from God. It's a dangerous attitude to have because it's the first step toward rejecting God's word and accepting counterfeit revelations including the doctrines of demons first Timothy 4:1. The word Paul says the word didn't originate in your congregation or, or they were telling Paul, the word didn't originate in your congregation. But Paul said, hey, one of the marks of a true prophet is his obedience to apostolic teaching. Paul claimed that he wrote, what he wrote was actually inspired scripture in verse 37. He says, it's the commandments of the Lord. And then verse 38 suggests that Paul wanted the people... It, it, it doesn't suggest... Let's look at the end of verse 38 again. Paul said, but if anyone is ignorant, let him be ignorant. Paul was not wanting that anybody was ignorant. He wasn't suggesting people to stay ignorant or else he wouldn't have written this letter and answered all their questions. He was saying, if anyone still disagrees with the commandments of the Lord, hey, we'll leave them alone. We'll let them do what they want. We'll leave them in their ignorance. Again, some people don't want to hear the word of God. They don't care about the word of God. They remain ignorant. Not because God doesn't want them to know, but they choose not to know. So Paul's just saying, hey, they don't want to repent. They don't want to listen. Just let them remain in their ignorance. Fellowship is based on the word of God. On the word of God. And those who willfully re- reject the word of God, they automatically break fellowship. So Paul summed up the main teachings of chapter 14. Notice again in verse 39 through 40. He says, therefore, brethren, desire earnestly to prophesy... Do not forbid to speak with tongues and let all things be done decently and in order. In other words, to prophesy is more important than tongues, but the church should not ban, all right, the correct use of tongues. The purpose of spiritual gifts is to edify the whole church. So gifts must be used in an orderly manner. The word decently there in, uh, in verse uh, 40 it means to be honorable. It means to be correct. It means to be well-behaved. Marked by propriety. Properness. And it involves honesty. It involves, the, it involves good taste in conduct and appearance. Public worship must be done in a decent manner. With beauty, order, spiritual motivation, and content. content. In closing... Let's quickly again review what Paul said about the gift of tongues. Tongues is the God-given ability to speak in a tongue the speaker didn't know before. Its purpose was not to win the lost, but to edify the saved. Not every believer had this gift, nor was the gift proof of spirituality or the result of baptism of the Holy Spirit. There are plenty of other gifts that you could be baptized in the Holy Spirit with. Only three people were allowed to speak in tongues in any one meeting, and they had to do it in order and with interpretation. And if there was no interpreter, they had to keep silent. To prophesy is the better gift. But tongues were not to be despised if they were used biblically. And here's the sad part. When believers make tongues a test of fellowship or spirituality, To say, that oh, you're not really baptized in the Holy Spirit because you can't speak tongues. Or you're really not saved because you don't speak in tongues. And I've heard that before. That should raise a red flag telling me the Spirit wouldn't be at work in that person. We need to keep our priorities straight and we need to focus on winning the loss. That's what our great commission is. To win the loss to Jesus. And building the church for the glory of God and for the good of man. Father, we thank you again for your word and the instructions we are given. Father, that we might do things your way, God, biblically. That, Father, we would have our church service not based on emotionalism. But on the leading of the Holy Spirit. The word of God. And, Father, help us to seek the gifts that best that do the best for the church, for the body, Lord. To help the body to grow and to be edified and to minister to others, God. And Father, we thank you so much that you have have left us the wonderful word of God. Lord, that we don't run around in, the, in, in darkness, God, and, and grope, grope uh, for things like, like those that can't see, God. But your word is light. And Father, it it lights up everything in our life and it, it removes the darkness, God, when we use it appropriately. Father, we thank you for the offering we'll receive today, Lord. As always, we thank you for your goodness, for your faithfulness, God, and how you take care of us, Lord. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.